It is that time once again. It is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesugian, along with Zach Steginga. Here in this mid-June edition of the Chief Zone Podcast, it is basically now the off-season. It, it's, it's the off-season after the off-season, so a lot to get into here on this episode. A lot has happened since we have last done an episode, so we will get into that. And, of course, our closing segments and our hot takes to wrap up the show. If you guys want to interact with Zach and I on social media, you can do so. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. You can follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, plus follow Zach at Z Stegaga. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Don't forget to call in to the voicemail and text line 913-808-2119. No voicemails nor text this week, but that is okay. We did get a couple of submissions for our hot take on Facebook, so we'll read those later on as well. Topics on hand for this episode. Chiefs up for a couple of SB awards. The Nominees are out. We'll talk about that. Harrison Butker got a, a contract extension, but Chris Jones still without a deal. And now that we are in the offseason mode where camp is, uh, minicamp has now broke and players are now on their own for a few weeks until training camp, we'll recap the offseason. Was it a good offseason? Was it a bad one? Was it a mixture? We'll talk about that and much more here on this episode and of course, as I mentioned, joining me, my co-host Zach Steginga. Zach, how are you, man? How was your weekend? It was good, Fars. You got to travel out to Denver and see some family, so that was pleasant. I was about to ask, was that uh, what you did for uh, for Father's Day? Go out to Denver? Well, I mean, we we did go out to Denver, but it wasn't a deliberate Father's Day trip. We uh, got to lay my great grandfather to rest, which was definitely a blessing. Uh, you know, he was ready to go, so. Not the happiest of occasions, but it was sure great to see everybody. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. How old was he, if you don't mind me? He was 101. 101? Yeah. And he was uh, he was around for every single Super Bowl, so he has seen the uh, the Chiefs win one. Uh, is he a Chiefs fan? No, he is a huge Broncos fan. Oh, he is a huge Broncos okay, Well, he has seen the Broncos win multiple Super Bowls, which uh, hopefully we can see that one day with the Kansas City Chiefs, but... Uh, very sorry to hear that. Uh, thoughts to you and your family. Uh, Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and of course, like I said, a lot has happened since we have last done an episode. Camp is obviously broke, but uh, a couple big things have happened outside of Chiefs football, the NFL, and sports. The Blues won the Stanley Cup, and then the next day, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA Finals. And Gary Woodland from Kansas City uh, won the U.S. Open. Uh, did you follow any of these over the weekend? I followed all of those, especially Gary Woodland, given that he's a Jayhawk. Uh, though, should mention that he's actually from Topeka, so that's just you know a little, little detail. But I know people in Topeka would be all upset if we pretended he was from Kansas City. So, just had to <laughs> set the record straight on that. So I don't remember this. You and I were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, I think I saw him on social media say that he guarded Kirk Heinrich once and that was the worst thing he, he ever had to do in basketball or something. Yeah, and he also loosely credits uh, Kirk Heinrich for the fact that he decided to stop playing basketball. He was playing at Washburn at the time. Uh, and so, you know, like they always do at the early parts of the season, you know, it was uh, Ichabods versus Jayhawks and kind of one of those non-exhibition <laughs> exhibition games. Uh, or maybe it is actually an exhibition. I could be wrong. But in any event, Kirk Heinrich blew by him, and at that point, Gary was like, man, I, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should be doing something else, because evidently he was an incredible athlete in a bunch of different sports. So 
he decided to then transfer up to Kansas to play golf. And the you rest know, it is, is a small world. It's a it's a small world because Chris Young, the former relief pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, who uh, had a hand in helping the Royals win a World Series, I can't remember what college he went to, but he also played against KU in basketball. Yeah, he was like a big man or something. I mean, I guess it's easy for him to offend a big man because he was like yeah. 6'10". <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I want to say it was Fort Hayes State. It was out in western Kansas. I don't remember exactly where it was, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, small world sometimes, but nonetheless, uh, big ups to Gary Woodland and, of course, the Blues. I know there are a lot of Blues fans listening to the podcast, a lot of people from the St. Louis area uh, or have some sort of a connection to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, and the Raptors, I've got to say, man, uh, I remember when the Royals and the Blue Jays were playing in the ALCS a few years ago, and I heard some of the coverage in Toronto and really all of Canada, it was pretty cool. I mean, I mean, I, I, I didn't really have a rooting interest in this one, honestly, but man, it was kind of cool just to see the entire country of Canada, because obviously in the U S we have 32 different NFL teams. So, you know, you're not going to see an entire country come together for one team, unless it's against the Patriots. Uh, ironically <laughs> enough, all of America against the Patriots. Uh, but seeing all of Canada really just rally the way they did, and they showed so many different camera shots of all these celebrations uh, at uh, outdoor events in, in Canada, uh, that was pretty cool. Because uh, we've seen that a few times in Kansas City at Power and Light for Chiefs games and for Royals World Series events, how people gathered uh, in uh, Power and Light. Uh, for those big games, and you see how they did in Toronto, which is really cool to see. I, I love seeing things like that. Uh, I know it's not in the U.S., and some people didn't want the Raptors to win because of that, but I, I've got to say, man, I, I have an appreciation for those kinds of things, just seeing a fan base really come together like that. Absolutely, and it was really cool to be able to see that on the heels of uh, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, because correct me if I'm wrong, both of those won their first title in franchise history, both the Raptors and the Blues. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so it's not often yeah. that you get to see something like that happen, certainly not on back-to-back days the way that it did. Um, and then, you know, Gary Woodland won his first major. We had a lot of firsts last week, Fars. I did not realize that. That's a good point. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of firsts. Uh, there's a first for everything, so uh, that is very cool. By the way, I will say this. I, I, and. Zach, do you do you have any hatred towards St. Louis? Because I honestly don't understand the hatred that Kansas City has for St. Louis. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the, uh, yeah. You know, I think it probably has something to do with the '85 World Series. But to be honest, I don't mind St. Louis. I mean, I, I understand that there is a rivalry, and if there is, you know, a need to pick a side, obviously I'm going to choose Kansas City. But I don't have any beef with St. Louis. I think St. Louis is a nice city. I've been there once. I was going to, my family and I, we were going to go again when I came home from college once for uh, for spring break. Sadly enough, it snowed in the Midwest on spring break. Imagine that. But So we called that off. But uh, Saint, uh, there's a place in St. Louis called Ballpark Village. Have you heard of oh, this? Oh, yeah. It's over by Bush Stadium, which, to be fair, is one of the coolest baseball stadiums just because of all the history there. I I have not I was the when I went to St. Louis in 2012 they did not have Ballpark Village. It's really similar to Power and Light. It's actually more of an indoor version of Power and Light at least from the photos I've seen. And the watch parties they had there for the Blues and I believe they do this a lot for Blues games as well as for Cardinals games. It's pretty cool. Have you ever been to Ballpark Village, or do you know anyone who's been there? Because I've, I've been really curious about that place, and I really have been wanting to go sometime. See, I've heard nothing but great things. It is, de- I believe it is developed by the same people who uh, developed Power and Light. There's a 
there's a firm out there that designs all of these you know venues for a bunch of different cities like they have a couple of uh i think they've got something out in nashville and a couple of other cities as well so i believe it's all designed you know as a variation on a theme but no i've not personally been though i've heard nothing but good things about it no i know who you're talking you're talking about i think it's called populous or populous not quite sure how it's pronounced but uh, yeah, you're right. They also uh, are responsible for the architect behind the sporting Kansas City Stadium out uh, near the Legends. So, uh, very cool to see. Yeah, I'd love to see that. But big ups to those uh, first-timers, the Blues, the Raps, and Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open. Let's transition into uh, the Kansas City Chiefs because there are a lot of things that uh, we- we've got to touch base on, on here uh, with Harrison Butker and him getting a contract extension, not Chris Jones. I think there is a message that is being sent there. But before we get into that, very cool uh, news update here for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are up for two SB awards, one of them best male athlete. Surprise, surprise, Patrick Mahomes uh, considered the best male athlete in the NFL. He is competing against Mookie Betts of the Boston Red Sox. Um... Uh, my list, I, I just went crazy on my rundown here. Uh, of the Boston Red Sox, I uh, have no idea how you say this guy's name. Mookie Betts. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks, I meant. Oh, Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo. Giannis? Okay, yeah, I would have never guessed. I, I'll plead ignorance. I don't follow the NBA that closely. And to be honest, I kind of surprised me that his name was the biggest one in the NBA. And then there's Brooks Copa. Kepka from from golf. Okay, yeah, you you know this this better than I do. Look, my last name is Vasugian for crying out loud. Yours is Stegengard, so we get our names mispronounced all the time. Uh, so I'm not too familiar with uh, baseball nor the NBA nor golf. Uh, I mean, realistically, do you think Patrick Mahomes is the best male athlete of the four players listed on here? I think he absolutely is. Maybe there's a slight chance that Antetokounmpo can sneak in there, but I think that it's Mahomes' award to lose for sure. 50 touchdown passes, 5,000 passing yards. Only two others have done it, obviously. We've said this many times. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. So it'll be very interesting. And I don't know exactly when the ESPYs are, but I believe it is going to be sometime in mid-July, so about a month from now. Uh, and uh, it, it will be pre-recorded, so it will be a couple of hours unless the media tweets it out there, which usually that ends up being the case. That definitely was the case for the NFL Honors Show, uh, in which a lot of people knew ahead of time that Patrick Mahomes was named the NFL MVP. The other uh, SB award the Chiefs are up for, that the, they're nominated for, best game. Now, this is, of course, one they were on the losing end of uh, against the Rams, uh, where they lost by a score of... 54 to 51. It was the highest scoring game in Monday Night Football history. And it, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the first and only time ever two teams uh, in the same game both scored in the 50s. They're competing against the women's final four, where Notre Dame pulled off a big upset against UConn, in which there were 26 lead changes in that game. And then in college football between LSU and Texas AM, the Aggies winning. In seven overtime periods, 74 to 72. I've got to say, I mean, obviously I love the Chiefs. And, and even though the Chiefs were on the losing end, that was one hell of a game to watch. Uh, just as a football fan in general. Uh, but I think that college football game uh, is going to be ahead of the Chiefs in that one. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that the women's Final Four game certainly uh, shouldn't be the afterthought that unfortunately it is. Uh, but 
you know, going up against two football games, like, yeah, no chance there. And I think that the uh, Aggies certainly will edge us out in that regard. I don't know if you saw the NFL's uh, NFL Network did this top 20 games of 2018. Uh, and the Chiefs, I believe, were in the top 25 times. And they were uh, in each of the top three games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the AFC Championship game, I believe, was considered the best game of the year. And then the second best game was the Chiefs and Rams game. And then the third best game was the other Chiefs and Patriots game. Uh, which, look, I, I guess this deserves a little bit of discussion here. The fact that the Chiefs have been involved in some of these marquee competitive games. Uh, and one of the other games they were nominated for was Chiefs Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. And then Chiefs Ravens. That was just a regular uh, 12 o'clock game. But... More times than not, the Chiefs have been competitive in these marquee games, but have not been on the winning end of these games. Yet they made it to the AFC Championship game. They were an overtime period against the team that's been the best in the NFL for the past two decades. I mean, this just tells you how close they are to being that team in the NFL, to be one of the premier teams in the NFL for years to come at this point. And I think that one important thing to add to that is the fact that it's it's not just because we've been playing very well. It's because we've been putting up all sorts of points, and we have Patrick Mahomes, who is the NFL's. I mean, certainly, it certainly looks this way anyway. He's going to be, you know, kind of the NFL's next poster child for sure. Yeah, and, and it is kind of interesting because he's been doing a lot of Madden shoots lately on his social media, and I don't know if those were actually recorded from a while ago, and maybe now he's allowed to release those. I'm not sure exactly, but. He's been getting a lot of hype with this Madden uh, release because he is on the cover of Madden 20 for EA Sports. Uh, I don't know exactly when that's going to be released. I think it's going to be during the preseason. But uh, he's, I thought it was just a Kansas City thing, but he's really getting a lot of attention outside of Kansas City. Uh, and look, it's cool to see. Uh, we haven't had a superstar quarterback like this since Joe Montana. And obviously that was not during the social media era. And here we are today and... The way people are promoted nowadays through social media. Uh, I mean, I, I, Patrick Mahomes is getting this uh, this big coverage here. And uh, we had a guy, uh, Benjamin Albright. I don't know if you follow him. He's a great follow on social media. He covers Denver sports uh, for a sports radio station there. And I had him on the podcast and I asked him uh, during the season. I said, have you ever seen a player get this kind of coverage? And he actually compared it to the media coverage that Tim Tebow got. I'm sure you remember that in 2011 where... Everyone was going insane with this whole Tim Tebow thing and how he was lifting the Denver Broncos for a little bit that season. And I thought that was actually a valid comparison. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because we are kind of seeing that from Patrick Mahomes at this point. Absolutely. And I think that the difference is, is you know, Tebow mania was absolutely a thing for a while, but it was very short-lived because, let's be honest, the man couldn't really throw a football that well. Whereas Patrick Mahomes, I think he... You know, he's certainly here to stay. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see. And I think from here on out, you know, what else can he do in terms of the coverage that he's gaining at this point? I, I mean, I, I guess if he continues to play at a high level, he'll just get more and more of these endorsements. And you're going to start seeing articles at this point, you know, how much money he's making off endorsements, what kind of endorsements he's making. Maybe he, he breaks the record for most endorsement deals from a pro athlete. Who knows at this point, but should be a lot of fun to watch from here on out. But making the transition to what's going on with the football team, uh, Harrison Butker got a contract extension, Zach. And 
we'll get to Chris Jones in a moment, but let's give Harrison Butker uh, the due diligence here uh, because he deserves to get this kind of extension for sure. He uh, currently is 23 years old from Georgia Tech, got the five-year extension worth $20.3 million through 2024. Keep in mind, Zach, he was drafted in the seventh round, 233rd overall by the Carolina Panthers, and the Panthers didn't really have much use for him. During his rookie season in 2017, he made 38 field goals out of 42 attempts. That was the second most made field goals behind Robbie Gold's 39, and keep in mind, he did it playing in 13 games. And again, remember, he was with the Panthers at the time. He was on their practice squad, if I remember correctly, and that's why he did not kick for three games because the Panthers had another kicker who they were moving forward with. So the Chiefs picked him up after Cairo Santos, I believe, had some sort of an injury. And for for Butker to be able to make 38 field goals as a rookie, being one away from the league leader that year, pretty damn impressive for sure. And by the way, the 38 field goals, that is the most in a single season in Chiefs history, also the most by an NFL rookie. And then in 2018, 24 field goals made out of 27 attempts, obviously a big step back, not in a bad way though. That's because the red zone offense improved drastically, which meant less of Harrison Butker. And again, that's a good thing. The Chiefs in the red zone uh, in 2017 under Alex Smith, 45%. That was the fourth worst in the NFL. They bumped it up to 73%, the second best behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, uh, his 24 field goal is worth mentioning. That put him 15th behind former Chief and two others, uh, Cairo, or excuse me, Ryan Suckup being the other, uh, two others tied 12th in the league with 26. He was ahead of Cody Parkey and Adam Vinatieri, who tied for 20, uh, uh, with 23 field goals, excuse me. But in total, Butker has made 62 of his 69 field goals. That is one percentage point away from 90%. He's made all 28 of his PATs his rookie year. He made, uh, or excuse me, uh, out of the 69 PATs he had, in 2018, he missed four. Look, when the Chiefs scored as many touchdowns as they did in 2018, you're gonna you're, you're bound to miss a few PATs, especially with the uh, new rule from a couple of years ago where kickers have to make the PATs a little bit further out. So it's bound to happen out of 69 tries for sure. This is definitely a very well-deserved. And again, when you give a contract extension to a kicker, they generally don't break the bank. So this is still a good situation for the Chiefs to extend him, pay him a little bit more, and you still have money left over. I don't know exactly what the uh, uh, detail is in terms of how much the Chiefs have left over. I'm sure over the cap has those details, but uh, pretty good deal. Uh, and I think both sides win in, the, in a situation like this. I think you're absolutely correct on that. The other thing that's important to mention here is that you know he's 23 years old. We just signed him to a five-year extension and kickers can play forever. So this maybe is less important. At, at this point, but point being, we're going to have the prime of his career without a shred of doubt. So it's good to see him get signed, though it is strange uh, the fact that, you know, just the timing of it. I was surprised that they signed him before Chris Jones. Okay, let's. Before we get into Chris Jones, I want to ask you this real quickly. Patrick Mahomes, now obviously he's a quarterback, and there's a lot of talk about him getting $100 million. Forget about how much he's going to make. When do you think he gets his extension? Because. With the whole Chris Jones thing, Ian Rappaport reported that the Chiefs will not negotiate with him until he shows up to minicamp. And guess what? During minicamp, Harrison Bucker and Mitchell Schwartz both got contract extensions. But Patrick Mahomes, again, he's a different animal because his position means a lot more than Bucker's and Schwartz. Do you think 
Mahomes is going to get his extension during minicamp next year? I think that's probably a safe assumption. I think that it's definitely going to be after this season, without a doubt. The only question is, is do they get it done right after the season? I think if we win a Super Bowl, you could certainly see something like that happen. But more realistically, I mean, if we don't win the Super Bowl, I think you'll see it happen in minicamp because ultimately, I think we all know that the Chiefs are pretty much just going to have to back the Brinks truck up to this guy because he's the most marketable player in the entire league. And it's a superstar the likes of which this city has quite literally never seen. So we all know how this is going to go. All of the leverage is pretty much in Mahomes' hands. Uh, so I think that it's going to be a record-breaking deal without a doubt. And, and I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what this means for Chris Jones uh, because the Chiefs were only willing to negotiate with him if he showed up to camp. And obviously camp is over. It's it's now the quote-unquote offseason, if, if you would. I'm not exactly sure what happens from here on out uh, because obviously players are on their own. I'm not exactly sure if I really agree with how Brett Veach is approaching this negotiation method because uh, I've never seen this before. And we've seen general managers handle it in different ways. I mean, the Seahawks had a really weird situation where uh, it was Russell Wilson demanding uh, – I mean, he, he created a deadline as to when he wanted – his extension, which was April the 15th, and they signed him the evening of April the 15th, which I thought was weird in, in its own way. But you look at how the Chiefs are reportedly going about business. There's uh, Rappaport said that the Chiefs will only negotiate with Jones if he shows up to camp, and I wasn't quite sure if I really believed that report. But then when we saw Mitchell Schwartz and Harrison Butker get their deals, I thought, okay, I think Rapp's got some some good inside sources here on, on, on something like this because we're seeing it come to a reality right now that two players got their extensions who are at camp, by the way, and Chris Jones didn't. What does this mean for Chris Jones? Should we be concerned or will this be resolved in any way? Zach, I've got a couple of questions for you. Real quickly, do you think this whole situation right now with Chris Jones, could this have an impact on his long-term interest whether or not he stays in Kansas City if it drags past or into training camp maybe but assuming it gets done before then I think that ultimately this next deal is going to be probably a five-year deal so I don't think it really will have that much bearing on his future with the Chiefs okay so here's my next question for you you mentioned camp do you think and I know we talked about this before but I think it's worth asking again do you think he is at camp day one and then my follow-up to that would be, does he have a new deal by day one? I think that those two questions are obviously tied. Um, if he has a new deal, he'll be in camp. If he doesn't, he won't. It is worth noting that Telvin Smith of the Jaguars, he was fined $88,000 for missing a three-day mandatory minicamp. I do actually want to get on that later on, but uh, we have not seen a fine for Chris jo were you surprised by that, the fact that Telvin Smith got fined, but Chris Jones didn't? Because I don't know, I mean, why would you find one player for missing mandatory minicamp, but not another player out there? I wonder if it's, uh, I'd be surprised if the two situations were truly that different, simply because, unless it's left up to the owner's discretion, um, I would imagine that the NFL will apply it pretty uniformly. Um, and it's entirely possible that Chris Jones did get fined. It just hasn't become that big of a story. But I I'd be surprised if, unless it's left up to the owner's discretion, and Clark Hunt for some reason decided to say, eh, we're not going to fine him, we'll just negotiate with him. 
Well, is is it a team fine or is it an NFL fine? Because I'm under the assumption that this is an NFL fine. That's a really good question that I'm going to have to look that up to be able to, you know, give you a valid answer for. If it's okay, I, I think it's, I, I think it's based on the, uh, you know, it's up to the team's discretion, but. I'll let me well, 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 this. let me say this because I mean, that's beside the point. The main focus here is Chris Jones has been wanting an extension, and he obviously does not have one right now. And I think part of his frustration right now, and I, I brought this up last week, and I mentioned my reaction on Twitter when this happened. Shortly after the Frank Clark trade was official, Frank Clark got a hundred and five million dollar deal. Uh, worth five years and his extension Uh, he had never played for the Chiefs now let me be clear just because you never played for a team does not mean you are not eligible to get any kind of extension but I think from Chris Jones standpoint he probably looks at at that and say hey hey look you released a couple of other guys you're keeping me here and I'm the new leader on this defense I should definitely be a higher priority than a Frank Clark per se Uh, I don't know the Katz brothers uh, his agency I don't know exactly how they're handling things right now, but I did see uh, on social media, I think it was Michael Katz. He has, he's been posting quite a lot of Chris Jones stats from Pro Football Focus or any stat that praises Chris Jones. He's been posting a lot of those. And look, any agency would do that. But recently, I've been seeing that a lot more from Michael Katz. Maybe I'm reading into that a little too much. Uh, but I think it's very interesting how Brett Veach is doing business this season where he says, hey, be at minicamp and you'll get your deal. Obviously, that was the case with Butker and Schwartz, and Jones is currently sitting here without a contract right now, and everyone's asking uh, whether or not uh, he is going to be at training camp right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what will take place on that. I think that ultimately you can probably flip the coin on it because, I mean, frankly, I think that at this point, the way that it's dragged on this long, I understand where both sides are coming from. Chris Jones doesn't want to play another year without having a long-term contract in place just for general stability. But Brett Veach is saying, no, we've still got you on your rookie deal. Show up. So I understand where both sides are coming from. I ultimately think that the way that this will go down, it'll go down a little like when Dwayne Bow held out a few years back, uh, where it goes into like maybe the first week of training camp, and then both sides realize, all right, this is stupid. Let's get a deal done and go play. Yeah, and we could go on and on about this topic. Uh, We touched on this quite a lot last episode, and I know we're doing it again now, so I'll leave it at that because there's a lot that that we really unfolded there. Let's make the switch now to talk about the offseason because, like I said, the offseason in the NFL is weird. There's always this saying, there is no offseason. Well, there is a little bit of an offseason. Whenever your season ends in December or if you're fortunate in January or February, from that point all the way until mid-March, there is that down period where players are on their own, doing their own thing. They can't be in team facilities unless there's a special press conference that they have planned. And then uh, right about now, with minicamp wrapped up all the way until training camp, players are on their own again outside of team facilities. Uh, so let's talk about this offseason recap so far. Obviously, we still have a little bit of offseason left, but for the most part, the the key things that we expect it to have happened at this point, have happened already. A lot of changes on the defensive coaching staff. In fact, a complete overhaul on the defensive coaching staff with Steve Spagnuolo being the new defensive coordinator, position coaches, Brandon Daly, Matt House, Dave Merritt, some really good 
position coaches coming in. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. I think within the next three to five years, maybe even sooner, depending how this defense makes the transition, I think those assistant coaches right there on defense will become defensive coordinators elsewhere during that time span. Key additions this year for the Chiefs, we mentioned Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, Bashad Breland. Uh, they got rid of some dead weight in D4, Justin Houston and Eric Berry. And all three have something in common, two big things in common, in the fact that they have missed significant playing time in recent memory while taking up a lot of cap space for 2019, something the Chiefs did not want to risk moving forward. And despite not having a first-round pick because they traded away uh, for Frank Clark, Kansas City still came away with some really great draft picks in the second round. Wide receiver McCole Hardman and safety Juan Thornhill. Now, there has been some bad this offseason. Obviously, Tyree Kill and Chris Jones not getting their contract extensions for different reasons. Jones not attending OTAs and minicamp. And then what's been going on off the field with Tyree Kill and Tyron Matthew? Uh, I know Tyree Kill is not being charged, and it seems like he's in the clear, but still... He was suspended by the team, and they did draft McCole Hardman, seems like, out of fear. Or maybe, and I heard on SiriusXM, they talked about, you know, could McCole Hardman actually be Tyree Kill's replacement, and this could be Tyree Kill's final year with the team, which I don't want to speculate on that right now, but uh, still, even though Tyree Kill's not being charged with anything, the fact that he still was in this position, not a good thing. Same thing goes for Tyron Matthew, in which we're still kind of learning the details on that right there. It's been kind of an up and down off season. I don't know if I can recall a very busy off season with good and bad, with all of these coaching staff changes, all of these players that the Chiefs had signed, and just some of the off the field news that we got about a couple of these players. I cannot recall an off season as busy as this for the Kansas City Chiefs. Certainly not with the mixed, uh, you know, the mix of good and bad. I would argue that. You know, when Pioli came in, that was a pretty busy offseason. And then, of course, when Dorsey came in, uh, you know, trading a pick away to get Alex Smith, that was also pretty eventful. But to have just this much over overhaul without it being a full, you know, coaching and GM change, uh, this is the first time I can remember that we've had this eventful of an offseason. One thing I didn't mention on our offseason recap, key losses, I think those are certainly worth talking about. Mitch Morse. Uh, moving on, I know he missed a lot of games, but even though he, I mean, he still played a lot too. He had not surrendered a sack since 2015, which was his rookie season. He, of course, moved on with the Buffalo Bills to become the highest paid center in the NFL. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there were any other key losses. I mean, I guess you could say Kareem Hunt was a key loss. I mean, it wasn't an offseason release, but obviously he joined a new team in the offseason, but can you think of any other key losses outside of Kareem Hunt and Mitch Morse right now? I mean, losses as in someone who's no longer here or losses yeah, as in yeah. someone whose you know, departure will uh, possibly hurt the team because obviously probably the most key loss was Bob Sutton, but that's a good thing. Um, I think Alan Bailey, though I know he hasn't signed elsewhere, so that's up for discussion still. I think that's a little bit of a loss, but beyond that, no, I think that you know, for the most part, the Chiefs certainly uh, appear, at least on paper, to have gotten better through this offseason. I mean, given the availability uh, concerns that we had with D4, Justin Houston, and Eric Berry, I know the argument can be made on paper that, you know, it's more comparable, uh, the people that we've brought in the door versus the people that we let go. But when you factor the availability question into the mix, it's no contest. 
A final thing I wanted to discuss before we move on to our closing segments. So, uh, Soren Patrick, and I saw this on Twitter, I, I, I didn't listen to his show, but I saw a lot of people tweeting out there that Soren Petro of Sports Radio 8. By the way, it, it's really surprising. I had this discussion with somebody on, on Twitter. It's really surprising to me how Sports Radio 810 dethroned KCTV5 and having all the inside information on the whole Tyreek Hill deal. Kind of weird how that tide changed. But uh, Soren Petro of 810 said on his radio show that from his sources, he's hearing that Tyreek Hill might get up to two games uh, for a suspension. Now, to be clear, because I wrote this on Facebook and a lot of people were confused. How can a guy who's not being charged get suspended? Folks, I'm going to remind everyone for the hundredth time, he's not being su- suspended on suspicion of child abuse. Now, the NFL could do that. I mean, look what they, again, I'm not comparing the situations. I'm only comparing the how the NFL reacted to these things and how they handed out the consequences, the, the punishments with Tom Brady and the whole deflategate deal. We we never saw evidence in that. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott and what it. happened. I mean, I mean that, that's true as well. But uh, Ezekiel Elliott and what happened in that situation, we, we, I mean, we don't have the full context of that either. Uh, so my point is the NFL could say, well, something could have happened, but it seems like they're not going to do that here, at least according to Petro. Uh, what he is going to be suspended for, if the, if it is going to happen, was because of the comment of "Hey, you you should be terrified of me." That does violate the uh, uh, personal code of conduct from the NFL. That is considered a threat. Some people are trying to sugarcoat this, saying, "Well, it it wasn't a. It could it it, it could mean something else. It could mean." that she should be terrified, that he might not get a, a contract extension, and she could not get money. I mean, come on. Let's not sugarcoat this. When someone says to one person, you should be terrified of me too, dumb expletive, it only has one meaning. Uh, but if it is two games, Zach, wow. Uh, the NFL could easily look at this and say, hey, look, you have a history of this. Even though it was before the NFL, we could, we, we're could going to hold that against you. And if it's going to be two games... Wow, I will take that. That is definitely best case scenario. And I'll say this too, because Kareem Hunt getting an eight-game suspension, I said this before with the Browns. If you have a running back that's not playing the first eight games, having a running back come in fresh midway through the season could be a pretty damn good thing, especially with the running backs that Cleveland has right now. Now, I don't want to get off topic here, but given the wide receivers and what the Chiefs have right now, Tyree Kill gets used quite a lot. I think giving him a two-game rest, and I know it's not what the Chiefs are giving him, it's what the NFL is giving him, but to have him sit out two games and let Hardman and Watkins kind of lead the way until Tyree Kill returns, I mean, two games could be best-case scenario at this point if you're a Chiefs fan. I mean, I think that it's certainly better than what I had been anticipating originally, which was, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a six-game suspension, which I still think is, I mean, I, I guess if if Petro's got inside intel, then, you know, that speaks for itself. But I still think that ultimately Zeke got six games on just, you know, I mean, no formal charges, just Goodell being the judge jury and just executioner. Just on suspicion. Um, say what? No, I was just saying just based on suspicion. Exactly. And I think that you'll see something similar with Tyreek just, Again, because Goodell is judge, jury, executioner. That's just how it is. Yeah, the NFL, and I don't know if, because I was surprised when I heard two games. Now, to be clear, it's not official yet. It's just what's being, what's 
that's a rumor mill right now, but I, I've, I've been kind of wondering this whole time because Roger Goodell was asked a couple of times. Uh, I believe Sam Ponder was the first person, and this was the night when the audio came out, and Roger Goodell p- played this whole card of, hey, we gotta we got to wait for all the facts to come out, which usually that's not how the NFL operates um, when it comes to trying to hand out these suspensions. Maybe the NFL has learned its lesson. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive in thinking that, but maybe they have learned their lesson from before. And I'm, I'm saying that because of how they're approaching this whole Tyreek Hill situation and saying, hey, look, we made a lot of mistakes in the past. We've just got to let this whole process play out. That way we know what we are doing when we do hand out a punishment. Because look at the Kareem Hunt situation and how the NFL thought that it did a valid investigation and the details that came out as to how they did their investigation for that. I mean, that was just a, a complete and utter joke, uh, how they called it investigation. They didn't even reach out to that woman, nor even make an attempt to do so. Um, but hopefully the NFL has learned its lesson. Again, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm onto something here. I'm not sure. What do you think? Do you think the NFL's maybe learned its lesson and they're going to try to be a little more cautious when they hand out punishments? Because these punishments do make a difference for a team, for a player's future in terms of contract extensions. I mean, look at Tyreek Hill right now and what could happen to him. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of that? I think that it's more likely that Goodell is looking to go a little bit easier and show that he's possibly learned a lesson in advance of uh, this next round of uh, collective bargaining negotiations. Um, I think that you know that's going to be one of the biggest sticking points as they negotiate the new CBA has been the fact that Goodell is judge, jury, and executioner. So if he's starting to show a little bit of discretion with those powers in an attempt to make it seem like it's not that big a deal, that's, I think, the only way that you know he really does go lighter on this. I don't think that at this point... I don't think he really has any incentive to have learned his lesson. I mean, it's not his deal. It's better, in theory, for where Goodell's sitting to come down harder and look like the league is coming down harder on any of these you know, incidents with their players. It's at least, in theory, from a fan perspective. Um, now, with regard to how the league interacts with the players, that's the flip side of it. And so if he's becoming a little bit more player-friendly and pretending like he's learned from the past... I think it's more posturing than it is actually learning. But then again, you know, it's clearly it's clear that I'm a little bit cynical when it comes to Roger Goodell. So no, take I that know with you a grain have of salt. For sure. Um, yeah, and I hate to say this kind of thing, but I've said this a lot with the Tyreek Hill deal. But this is one of those things where we just kind of have to wait and see. Uh, but hopefully, we get an answer soon. Uh, I've been very skeptical as to whether or not we would hear from the NFL on this Tyreek Hill. Keep in mind, even though it came out that. He would not be charged. He His suspension still stood uh, because I believe child services is still investigating. I don't think they announced any sort of conclusion from their end. And people are saying, what's taking so long? Welcome to the world in, in, investigations. You don't have to be an expert on this, but general rule, these things take a while. And training camp is going to take place in late July, uh, we're what, six weeks removed, or six weeks, excuse me, away from that, hopefully they can pick up the pace, because at this point, Tyreek Hill needs to know, the Chiefs need to know, the NFL needs to know, you know, the Chiefs put a suspension on him because of these investigations that are taking place, so 
Hopefully they can figure it out as soon as possible. Uh, usually at this point we read uh, text messages or we play any voicemails we got. Did not get any this week, but no worries. You guys can call in or text us for next week. 913-808-2119. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. This is very interesting, Zach. The Buffalo Bills are reportedly cutting down on the number of training camp practices they'll have open to the public. The Philadelphia Eagles announced that they're only going to have one training camp session open to the public. And I read the comment section for these uh, two teams, uh, these two articles, separate articles for the Bills and Eagles. Fans were not very happy about this. They reacted negatively because... It's, it's a really great opportunity for fans to get autographs and photos from a lot of players at once. You generally don't get this kind of opportunity. And training camp, one of the big reasons fans go out to camp is because of the chance to get autographs and photos from a lot of players. And, and teams also love to promote the fact that this is also the best chance to see players go 100%, go hard in practice because so many of them are competing for a starting spot or just a spot on the team. Uh, but seems like teams are cutting down on this. I've got to say, I haven't, I haven't seen this get discussed much, and I know this was from a long time ago with Spygate, but this kind of makes me wonder. The media is not allowed to film the entire portion of training camp, but who's to say a fan cannot hold out their phone for the entire portion of training camp? Because they can, unless someone walks over to you and asks for you to, to put your phone away. It kind of makes me wonder if uh, the fan availability with live streaming nowadays on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, if that maybe has a hand in this. It might have a hand in it, but ultimately I think that it's more just a question of, I think it's more just paranoia really on the part of the Bills uh, and Eagles. I'm sure that's part of like why they chose to do it. I, my point is, is that I think those concerns are a little bit unfounded because let's be honest, how many times, you know, when the Chiefs have their open training camp, does Andy Reid really open up the offense and, you know, tip it, you know, kind of show his cards, so to speak? He doesn't do that through the entire preseason, let alone in training camp open to the public. Keep in mind, there are closed portions, and then there are, open, for example, they do two a days, at least when I was uh, last one. It's been a long time since I've been to a training camp, um, and it's been a long time since I've been to a Chiefs uh, practice availability to the media. They have told the media, don't tweet. I don't know if that rules change. I, I think it changes from team to team. But again, if fans are out there, who's to stop them from tweeting? You cannot stop that from happening. So uh, it kind of makes me wonder if that's uh, got anything to do with this. Uh, we touched on this earlier, Zach. Jaguars linebacker Telvin Smith fined $88,000 for missing three-day mandatory minicamp couple of questions. Is it worth the fine? Is it worth skipping practice and taking the hit like that from the NFL to take that fine? Uh, I'll say what I've been saying for Chris Jones all along. Yes, it's worth it because what if you show up and you're seeking a new deal that you deserve and you suffer an injury? It can happen even in practice and Telvin Smith does not want to suffer an injury. Yeah, $88,000, that's a lot of money to you and I, Zach, but uh, in the long run, Telvin Smith might be able to make up for it, as would Chris Jones. So, when we hit on it earlier, I did look this up. Uh, turns out it is a Jaguars fine, not an NFL fine. So that okay. explains the disparity between his situation and Chris Jones's. But what I also uncovered there is that Telvin Smith is considering sitting out the entire season for personal reasons, not out of a contract negotiation or anything like that. Uh, but he, you know, he 
uh, I think he posted on Instagram, uh, quote, at this time, I must take time away from this game and get my world in order. I must give this time okay, back to myself, my family, and my health. I appreciate all the support I will and will not get. I just ask y'all respect my decision to not play football this season, which that opens up a whole new arena. And I think that that's part of the reason that the Jaguars chose to find him just to say like, Hey, no, we're not going to do this. You know, you're not going to skip training camp. And then all of the season, like, no bad idea, but Hmm. it'll be interesting interesting to see. That'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that was what what was going on, but to find him like that for personal. Yeah. That is kind of odd. Uh, But switching gears uh, and this one's more somber. Uh, We lost a legend. Pat Boland passed away. At 75, after a long battle with Alzheimer's, he was just elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, will not be there for his induction. Uh, but Pat Bolin, man, I mean, this guy really had a big hand when it came to major television deals for the NFL. He is credited uh, being a key factor, a major factor, in fact, for creating Sunday Night Football. Obviously, one of the marquee games of the week for football fans to tune into and he's also the chair or was the chair for the NFL broadcast committee which negotiated an 18 million dollar deal in 1998 uh, obviously at the time a lot of money uh, you know nowadays in 2019 I'm sure that number would be astronomically higher uh, but obviously you know TV deals I mean the NFL loves to brag about ratings even the year when the NFL took a dip with the ratings they were still the top dog when it came to television ratings uh no one was higher than the nfl i know you have a little bit of concerns when it comes to how these tv deals and in terms of the succession plans could work out in the future do you not so what my, my comment on the succession plan is actually so pat bowen was the owner of the broncos we know this uh but there the succession plan for who takes over for him has been an absolute mess uh if you follow much of what the Broncos have been up to currently and this has been the case since I think it's been two or three years at this point since as you mentioned earlier Pat Bolin was battling Alzheimer's which made him uh, incapable of you know kind of performing his duties as the owner of the owner of the team but he's to, to make a long story short he's got two daughters uh, with different wives in this case that are the yeah. two I mean he's got more children than that but those are the two that are viewed as potential successors to his position. Uh, and currently the team is being run by a three person trust. Um, and that trust has been tasked with determining which of these two daughters is going to ultimately run the team. Um, and so it's been an absolute you know, mess because ultimately this should have been resolved already. But uh, there's speculation out there actually that the trust itself is opting for the younger of the two daughters that will need another year or two before she meets all of the criteria that Mr. Bolin himself had laid out uh, prior to uh, prior to succumbing to Alzheimer's. Uh, there's been speculation, though, that the trust has been pushing for the younger one so that way they are able to maintain power and essentially play owner longer. So it'll be interesting to see how this all goes down, especially now that he's gone. This has all been simmering beneath the surface for the most part. I mean, if you're a Denver fan, I happened to read a Woody Page article about it, and that's when I dove down the rabbit hole. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how this goes. I can't remember the article. I want to say it was Forbes, but they did mention that the younger daughter 
is the one who was expected to take over, as you had mentioned, but would need a, a year before she can obviously meet the requirements to take on those full duties. Uh, kind of interesting. Uh, obviously not the most ideal situation to be in, so uh, I'm sure that'll be a story that uh, we'll have to follow and maybe follow up with here on the podcast sometime in the future. Let's go out of bounds. All right, I'm not a fan of this. So the XFL is apparently considering having speakers inside the helmet of every player on the field, which could translate into a lot of no-huddle offenses. And really, to me, I'm not a fan of this because I think there is something special about a huddle in an offense, and you have that leader in the quarterback who goes out there, gets the call from the offensive coordinator or the head coach, and then goes back to the huddle and gives the call right there. There is that leadership role right there when you're giving the play to your teammates right there. And the XFL might be squashing that. And this is partly due to the the XFL saying that they may consider a running clock on incomplete passes and on plays that go out of bounds. Uh, but, but I'm not sure if I'm a fan of this because, I, like I said, I think there is something special about a huddle in the offense. And without it, you lose that leadership talent on a team. I hear where you're coming from. By the same, t- like if this was a change that the NFL was implementing, I'd probably be way closer to your side. But given that this is the XFL, which is the latest of you know the people coming up to challenge the NFL and try to you know have organized football outside of the NFL in America, I think that this gimmick and the way that it ought to speed offenses up, I think it might actually be really interesting to see. Um, I'm certainly you know not gonna judge it too soon. I agree with you in that you know having the huddle together like there's certain advantages that come with having a quarterback who is better at getting his people in place uh but i think it'll be interesting to see if you could i mean picture how fast that game could move and how fast those offenses would move i mean i think you know have they called chip kelly yet to uh, have him be one of the offensive coordinators because my goodness it sounds like he'd be in paradise here uh, switching gears here, this was really interesting. OJ Simpson is on Twitter. Are you following OJ on Twitter, Zach? Nope. Okay. So a lot of people are. As of right now, we're, when we're recording the 756,000 followers, there was a massive discussion out there. Who in the hell cares that he's on Twitter? Why would anyone follow him? Who cares what he has to say? Well, you know what? OJ has put that to the test. He made a comment saying that he doesn't trust Patrick Mahomes in fantasy football. The Kansas City Star wrote about it in the headlines. And let me say something. It's been the most discussed topic on my Facebook page this week. So people clearly care about what OJ has to say. Um, and again, seven hundred, more than 750,000 followers. Uh, I'm sure his. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see his tweets on my timeline from retweets and likes. Uh, people clearly care what he has to say, apparently, Zach. Ultimately, I mean, look, I just looked at... You know, I'm just now looking to find OJ Simpson on Twitter, which like that's ridiculous in and of itself. Like, I think that it's absolutely silly that you know it's become this big of a this big of a deal that you know an old athlete is now on Twitter. Like, neat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I just he, honestly don't care what he has to say at all. He he put out a couple of videos saying, hey, I'm going to be on here. I'm going to put my th- thoughts on Twitter. First thought he put out there was about Patrick Mahomes uh, and that he's not sure if uh, he's uh, going to be his number one guy without 
Tyreek Hill, but hey, uh, he can have that opinion all he wants. Uh, last thing I want to talk about this segment, Anthony Davis traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. The, one of the biggest stories in sports over the weekend. Yikes, uh, the Lakers, uh, it's not official yet, but it will be. The Lakers gave up an arm and a leg for this one. Three players plus three first-round draft picks. That is quite a lot for one player. Listen, I still think this is a great move for the Lakers as well as for New Orleans, but look, if you have LeBron James, I get it. You got to make this move, but if you're giving up that much for one guy, for one superstar, this better translate into multiple championship wins. That's all I have to say. And I think that, I, I mean, I hear where you're coming from in that it's a steep price, but ultimately this team now has two of the top five players of the entire NBA. And we saw how that worked for the Warriors until one of those, you know, players went down when Kevin Durant did. Um, I think that they're certainly the favorites for the title next year as long as they're able to, you know, get one or two more pieces. I think that it's a move that actually, you know, like most trades are supposed to, actually did work out well for both teams. Uh, because the Pelicans now have the opportunity to rebuild around Zion, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I think that it's certainly a great move, and it'll be fun to watch LeBron and uh, AD playing together. Let's move on and throw our penalty flags. Let's keep it on the NBA train right now. LeVar Ball at it again, saying that the Lakers trading Lonzo, one of the players in that Anthony Davis trade, uh, he says it'll be the worst move that they ever made and that they will never win another championship. This is the same father who said that the Lakers would thrive with Lonzo and how they would win championships with Lonzo. Dude, give it a break. He played two years. He averaged, what, 10 points per game, nearly six and a half assists per game in the 99 games he played in his career. He is perfectly replaceable. The Lakers didn't lose anybody. Give it up for once. Frankly, I think that at this point he's doing his son a disservice because you can't tell me that the Lakers didn't view Lonzo Ball's value while adding the drama of that LeVar brings to the table, you know, on the other side of that ledger, if that makes sense. I guess uh, at this point, if your goal is to just help your son and yourself be relevant, well then mission accomplished. All right, let's talk minor league baseball once again, Zach. Uh, by the way, we talked about some of the names that they uh, have. So the Florence Freedom of Florence, Kentucky, they wore quote, dad bod jerseys on Father's Day during a game against the Lake Erie Crushers. Um, the jersey is basically a naked man, a hairy naked man. Um, it's basically the dad bod. You can see the skin showing and the back hair and all that stuff. Who the hell came up with this? Like, I really want to know, like, in that marketing meeting right there, when they come up with these kinds of ideas for jerseys, like the Royals had the gold print the year after they won the World Series that they wore on Friday. Like, that's pretty cool. But who comes up with this kind of idea for a baseball team, for their jersey, let alone? Man, I had to Google this just, you know, because I didn't honestly believe you at first. I mean, I did because <laughs> it's minor leagues, but it looking it up just to see what it actually looked like it is as bad as i thought um i think that ultimately there's a level especially since this is an independent league team 
that I think with their marketing department, they're just like, meh, screw it. If it works, neat. We got to, I mean, look, bottom line, they got a ton of attention for this. And if uh, they're a marketing department that believes that no publicity is bad publicity, then, well, they got it. I mean, kind of just what I just said with LaFar Ball, I, I suppose you're right there, but uh, I'll just wrap it up by saying minor league team, minor league marketing department. That's how it works sometimes. All right, we talked about this last week, uh, another topic we're bringing back. So a lot of people are crushing the U.S. women's national team for its 13-0 win over Thailand because they ran up the scoreboard and they had some excessive celebrations, which they didn't, by the way. I mean, look, you score a goal in the biggest stage in the World Cup qualifying matches. Of course you're going to celebrate, high-five, and hug your teammates. What do you want them to do? By the way, in their next game... They responded to the criticism by by, by just silently celebrating after scoring a goal. Uh, by the way, breaking news, if you don't like when teams run up the scoreboard and celebrate, tell the opposing team to play defense. I have no sympathy for a team nor a fan base when they are upset that they're losing in a blowout like this when the other team is enjoying it. The Patriots were criticized about this so much in 2007 during their almost 19-0 run when they ran up the scoreboard and maybe celebrated quite a bit. But you know what? If you have an issue with it, tell your team to to play defense. And by the way, the Thailand team was asked about this. They had no issue with it. They said that they were just happy to be there. And quite frankly, I think they have other concerns given that they lost 13-0, the most lopsided game in Women's World Cup history. I think they're more concerned about trying to improve on that kind of a performance. Yeah, I think it's a little ridiculous, the amount of criticism that gets leveled, especially when you consider, I mean, now to be fair, the women's team has always been so much better in soccer than the men's team, but yep. I guarantee you if a men's team you know, in the World Cup ran up the score like that, we would be falling over ourselves praising them. So I think it's a little bit ridiculous the way that this went, but props to the ladies for handling it with class uh and you know i I thought it was actually pretty funny their little uh you know silent goal almost protest uh in the next game like you know if you're gonna catch stuff like this you might as well handle it with a smile and just kind of laugh about it so props to them for that i have a funny story to tell you before we move on to our hot takes so uh i went to jonathan county community college for a couple of years and i did student media there before i transferred to ku let me just say that student media at a community college it's it's not what it, it's not like what it is at KU or in the real journalism world where you know they're just expecting positive things to be written because it's a community college and whatnot it's like whatever uh, but Johnson County I mean they have some they, they have a great athletics department let me just say that let me be very clear on that they, they really do thrive in a lot of areas with their athletics department uh, including women's soccer. And I remember uh, my first year, I think it was, yeah, 2009, my freshman year there, I was there to cover a women's soccer game, and they blew out a lot, I mean, 10-0, 20-0, they were they were beating the hell out of their, their opponents. There was one game where they were up 15 nothing, and there was 30 seconds left on the scoreboard, and there's a, a player on the Johnson County team. She has the ball, and there's nobody ahead of her but the goalie, but she's just kind of chilling because, look, there's 30 seconds left. You're up 15 nothing. The coach is screaming from the top of his lungs, saying, Erica, go! And I'm like, dude, you're up 15 nothing. What do you want? <laughs> like, what are you looking for at that point? Like, that I would take an issue with. 
I mean, yeah, when it's the coach encouraging the blowout, I I think that there's certainly, uh, yeah, there's certainly room to enjoy the athlete's ability to score heavily on the other team, but you don't have to encourage them to just absolutely run it up. Like there's sportsmanship's still a thing, uh, and I would be more annoyed with a coach for encouraging it because in theory the coach should know better than I would with you know say the athletes themselves just choosing to, you know, not stop until the whistle blows, so to speak. If it was five minutes, look, I get it. But 30 seconds when they, I mean, the game's over, right? The you game's finished. finished. But Like, I mean, just, just give it up. You've gotten, I'm pretty sure you'll lead the, the, like, the entire NJCAA in goals at this point. I don't think one more goal with 30 seconds left is going to change anything. Um, actually, what's funny is uh, the men's soccer coach, I don't know if he's still there, uh, was an old family friend of ours. Uh, I spoke to him once, and he, he brought it up. And I, I did not. He go. He actually pulled the coach aside, and he said, Coach, that's his words, effing BS, that you run up the score like that. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not his team, but he felt the need to bring it up with the other coach. So uh, that's obviously a topic for another time. Uh, All right, final segment of the show. This has actually been a very popular segment. I've enjoyed doing this, uh, and it's caught on with some of our listeners. So I'm very happy to do this and and glad that fans have been uh, joining in on this as well. It is our Hot Take of the Week segment where we give our insane opinions that go against conventional wisdom, but you have a safe space doing so in this segment. You're not going to get killed for your hot takes unless it's not a hot take. Uh, we have had some cold takes on this segment, but Zach and I have agreed we'll we'll narrow it down now. We'll just read the good ones here on this uh, on the segment. But you might be asking, what exactly is a hot take? Not necessarily something you're upset about. Not necessarily something that you feel passionate about. About you, you can be, you could be. Uh, but more importantly, it's a highly unpopular opinion. You say one thing. And nearly everyone disagrees and goes in the opposite direction. You're always more than welcome to join in with your hot takes on Facebook and Twitter. I'll ask for them each week, if I remember. Last week I did it, this week I did. We got a couple of submissions on Facebook. I'll read them after Zach and I uh, share ours. You can also text in or leave a voicemail, 913-808-2119. Zach, do you have a hot take for this week? I do. Uh, It isn't football related as my last few have been. What is the theme of your hot take? Uh, mine is actually NBA-related this time. Okay, this is interesting. Mine is music-related, so it is outside of the realm of sports. Uh, your NBA one has me a little intrigued, given that the draft is this week. Depending when you're listening, it may have already happened. And that AD trade just happened. The season just wrapped up. Uh, I'll let you go first. Go ahead. Uh, share us your hot take for this week. So my hot take is that the Warriors are actually going to go from you know being in the title game to completely missing the playoffs, and that Zion Williamson will be able to take the Pelicans to the playoffs again. Hot wow. Take. Okay, that is that is a scorcher of a hot take. Go ahead, defend yourself. I mean, for the Warriors' sake, I mean at this point it's now Steph Curry, you know, having to do all the heavy lifting, unless they re-signed Marcus Cousins and. In that case, maybe this take's going to look real stupid here in about you know nine months, but I mean that's kind of the point. Uh, but it, with Clay Thompson out, I think that they're just not the same team, and I think that uh, the Pelicans are going to do enough uh, around Zion just based on the pieces that they've already gotten from the Lakers, uh, and I'm sure they'll be able to turn uh, their 
you know, massive haul of draft picks into a handful of more pieces that I think that ultimately, I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to be, you know, a top seed in the West by any stretch of the imagination, but can they sneak in and take the eighth seed? I mean, the Sacramento Kings almost did that this year. So yeah, I think they can do it. You know what's so interesting about the NBA is that they have shorter, a much shorter offseason, as does hockey. Hockey and, and uh, uh, basketball, I mean, their seasons, in terms of when they start and when they finish, nearly the same, give or take a couple of days, which leads to very short off seasons. And for the Warriors like this, man, uh, I mean, you, you, you have the injury to Clay Thompson, as you mentioned. Kevin Durant also dealing with those injuries. I don't know how the Warriors are going to recover from that by day one of the regular season. I'm thinking, hey, maybe as the season goes on, they'll come back. But you're saying, hey, they're going to miss the playoffs for sure. Is that uh, just to be sure? That's that's what you're going with. Yeah, I'm going with it. All right, that is quite the hot take. Very insane opinion. That is the point of a hot take. All right, I'm going to give you my hot take for this week, and then we'll read a couple of yours on Facebook. My hot take. Zach, are uh, are you a big music fan? I don't think you and I have talked music a whole lot uh, in the years we've known each other. Are you a big music fan, or are you a concert goer? Absolutely. I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to music, and yeah, absolutely, big music fan. How many concerts have you attended in your lifetime, roughly? Uh, probably 2025. Maybe okay. a few more than that. I don't know. All right, so here's by one summer where there was, you know, probably fifteen to twenty in just one summer. So here is my hot take for this week: concerts are heavily overrated. Hot take. Here's the point: music is great. I love music, but at the end of the day, concerts can change things a little bit. I know so many people want to see their favorite bands out there, but number one, I I know of someone who's a big Metallica fan, and he has seen Metallica multiple times at different venues, and he's talked about how some venues, the speakers are terrible, and you don't hear the band as well. Not only that, man, keep in mind, these musicians, I mean, they're performing in a studio, so what you hear on on the track uh, that you purchase from iTunes, well, not iTunes anymore, Apple Music nowadays, or Spotify, wherever you purchase your music, it sounds a little bit different, and obviously when you hear it in person, in my opinion, it sounds a lot worse. I think there are a few people who are very good live, in person, in concert, but for the most part, you know, what you hear in a concert is worse than what you hear on the track, in the disc, and not only that, I mentioned the speakers sometimes not functioning as well you've got the annoying person next to you who is singing along they're singing terribly or maybe they don't even know the words or the tune that well and you deal with that when you're at a concert and here's the biggest part zach they are heavily overpriced uh i remember a parent uh was pretty disappointed because her daughter or son i don't remember which uh really wanted to see 21 pilots but prices were 400 bucks a pop. And again, considering everything I mentioned, sometimes the speakers aren't as well. I, at the Sprint Center, they're, they're fairly good. But again, sometimes these musicians, they're not as good in person. What you hear, again, in the recorded tracks, way better than in person. And that, in my opinion, is why concerts are overrated. I, I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from to a level. But there's so much nuance here that I don't think I can go with the blanket statement. Don't get me wrong. When you go to a live concert, 
you're not going to hear the purest, cleanest music, if that makes sense. Like, that's just, you know, that is that is what the album is for. But there's a reason that people make live recordings, too. Like, they're so fundamentally different. But the atmosphere and everything like that, you know, th- there's so much more to it than just the music. So the, and the other thing with that is, you know, you can get into the difference between venues. And, you know, some artists are, you know, here in Kansas City, there are some artists that are great for the Sprint Center. There are other artists that are a better fit for, say, the Midland, or in some cases, even for Starlight Theater. Uh, so I think that it's there's a lot of moving parts to get right there. Um, and I think the fact that it isn't always the same thing every time is part of the reason that concerts are awesome. Uh, now, to your point about the cost, I hear you on that. Uh, it certainly does get expensive, though the important thing to remember here is, especially in today's day and age, it's gotten even more so. Uh, that's how the artists actually make their money. They don't make much off the record deals anymore the way they used to, uh, and even less now with the advent of Spotify, Apple Music, all of those streaming services that don't always do a great job of getting the artists paid. Uh, They've gotten better, but it's still uh, not nearly what it once was. And so all those things uh, held together, that's why the uh, concert tickets are so expensive and don't get me wrong, I don't like spending that kind of money on concerts either, but when I realize that that's what's going straight to the artist who I'm enjoying, I find it a little easier to stomach. You know what I really hate about concerts is when you're obviously paying that much money because you want to see and hear that favorite musician of yours sing. Here's what I hate is when they get to like the chorus or a really popular part of the song and they point the microphone to the crowd and they have the crowd singing. I'm like, no! I want to hear you sing. I didn't come to hear these people sing. I get singing along in the crowd. I mean, that's a pretty big part of concerts, and that's what makes it very popular. But I want to hear the musicians sing that great part of the song. Not not people. I want to hear that musician, his or herself. Yeah, but it is pretty cool when you get the whole... <laughs> I mean, like when you, when it's one person, like say, you know, if, it's, if you're only hearing the person next to you and they're out of tune... That's no fun, but when you can get the entire Sprint Center singing along to chorus and you're right in there with them, like, there's just something really awesome about that. A couple of hot takes from the Facebook page, facebook.com slash farzing with Sugan. I'll also ask for you guys on Twitter, or be sure you guys tag Zach and I on Twitter. Did not get any tweets nor texts about this. Uh, Facebook, we got a couple of posts. I'll only read uh, one or two of them. Uh, Dan said, I don't even know if this is a hot take anymore because we have had this opinion a couple of times. Someone said Darwin Thompson is your leading Chiefs rusher by the end of the season. Hot take. I mean, it's not nearly as hot as the take that said he was going to be the leading NFL rusher at the end of the season. That is true. Yes, we did have that. Um, I don't know if I can really read this because it has some big, uh, some big endgame, uh, spoilers here. If you haven't seen endgame by now... I'm sorry if we spoil it for you. Well, I, I, I will. I will be vague about this, but Blank, uh, who died in the end of the movie, Blank will be buried in the pet cemetery and come back and replace Thanos because they always come back bad from the pet cemetery. I, I, I guess I love the comment because it's a Marvel comment, but I don't even know what this. I don't even know what this is. Is this a hot take from Enrique? It's a nod to Pet Cemetery, which is another. It's a horror movie, basically. Okay, I and a pretty good very, Ramones song. I have very little familiarity with uh, with horror movies, so I suppose. Uh, oh, but by the way, did you hear Endgame 
is I, I didn't realize they pulled it from theaters. Apparently that, that that happened, but they're putting it back in theaters with additional scenes. And this is obviously a desperate ploy to try to dethrone Avatar for um, for number one all time in the box office. Did you hear about this? No, I did not. So they're apparently, more scenes put in. Yeah, the, I mean, look, every movie has deleted scenes that when you buy the DVD or if you buy, like, the full version online, uh, because a lot of people are getting their movies digitally now, uh, there are bonus scenes in there. So, apparently, they got a couple of those deleted scenes and they put them in, I guess, the newer version of the movie, and that's in theaters right now. So, and look, it's a three-hour film. I'll be honest with you, if I went and saw it again, I may not even remember every single scene, so... Even if I, if you showed me that scene that they put in, in theaters now, I probably would not remember it. I, I, who knows? Some of these are pretty small uh, moments. Some of them are somewhat significant, and you get surprised as to why they cut it. But yeah, uh, that is a thing that they are uh, they're doing now in theaters. Uh, by the way, uh, no more hot takes to read. Uh, someone said Melvin Ingram guaranteed a Super Bowl victory this year. Not a hot take. Um, let me just I say mean, this. that's cute, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, I it, it's funny, kind of the outrage some fans have about that. I mean, look, what do you expect them to say? Do you want them to say no? The Chiefs are going to win the Super? No, of course he's going to pump up his own team. But uh, going back to Endgame for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, do you, this is not a major spoiler for those who have not seen it. But remember um, the scene where uh, Paul Rudd's character, Scott Lang, Ant Man, he changes for a moment as a kid and then an old man and then a baby. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they're they're testing something out. Uh, the, the characters are. So the kid who played uh, Paul Rudd as a kid in that movie, um, so I, I just saw this recently, so he had no idea he was going to be in the movie. He actually thought it was going to be for Infinity War, and then he heard that it was coming out pretty soon after they filmed it, so he knew it wasn't for that. Then he spoke to Paul Rudd, and he was he was wondering if that was for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Paul Rudd said that it had already been filmed. So he wasn't sure exactly what that was for. He did not realize that he was in Endgame until he saw it himself. Uh, and this awesome. is in response to... And I can't remember the actress's name for Pepper Potts. Do you remember her, her name? Paltrow? Yes. So there was a, a story about her recently because Spider-Man is coming out soon. She had no idea that she was at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming when they have that press conference that they want to set up. She thought that was like for... She thought that was a scene for like a, an Avengers film or something. She had no idea that she was in uh, Spider-Man until the character, the actor, excuse me, who plays Happy said, yeah, we were at the end of Spider-Man. She's like, I didn't know that was for Spider-Man. That's amazing how well they were able to keep all of their own actors in the dark about some of this stuff. And I think you can thank Mark Ruffalo and Tom Holland for that because they necessitated it. Yeah, uh, so the funeral for who our good friend Enrique on Facebook spoiled, or tried to spoil at least. We did spoil it. I don't consider it a spoiler. Again, it's been At this point, I guess. Okay, fair enough. But um, the actors were told that they were filming a scene for a wedding, yet they all have, like, sad faces. I'm like, how how were were you able to convince them that this is for a wedding? Uh, Which is beyond me. But, yeah, some of these actors, they don't even watch their own films. uh, And that's why, I guess, Paltrow did not know that she was in Spider-Man, but... Neither here nor there. Uh, if you guys want to submit your hot take, easy to do so. Tag Zach and I on Twitter. I am at Farzine21. He is at Z Stegenga. Or you can comment on our Facebook when I ask for your hot takes each week. Or you can call in 913-808-2119 or leave us a text as well. Let us know what your hot take is or comment on anything that we have discussed 
here on this podcast. It is now the offseason after the offseason, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about, even though news is going to be fairly low for the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL from here on out, but still a lot to discuss moving forward with the Chiefs. What do they need to improve on? Who needs to step up? We'll talk about that and much more next week. I am Farzim Vasuga, and he is Zach Stegging. I appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode. We will talk to you guys next week. Take care.